Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Devraga Personal Finance, Episode 58. In this episode, we'll discuss about cars, specifically about electric cars. Now, if you wanted to know about the financial aspects of buying a car, I have gone into it in rather good detail in one of my earlier episodes, so I would suggest you go back and listen to that. It talks about the various financial options when it comes to buying a car. Now, in this episode, though, we will specifically concentrate on EVs or electric cars. Does it really make sense to buy one? And if so, why? And what are the costs associated with it? Now, this is a financial podcast channel, so I won't be discussing too much about the technological aspects of electric cars. So I'm going to be just specifically focusing on the financial aspects, and I'm going to go into some of the running costs. Um, Now, a bit of disclosure, I bought an electric car recently and took delivery of the Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Edition with Autopilot, which comes standard. In short, it's been the best car I've ever driven. But before we go into the specifics... Let's revise. If you're new to the podcast channel, the basic premise of this channel is about the pay yourself first concept. In my opinion, there are five relatively easy steps to creating long-term sustainable wealth. Step one, pay yourself first. Try and save 20% at least of your after-tax income. Step two, invest it. Take it off the top of your income and invest that 20% early in your pay cycle so you don't have any chance to inadvertently spend it. Step three, you will get dividends from any investments you make. For example, rent if you bought a property or dividends if you bought shares. So always reinvest those dividends, that income, back into your investments. This compounds the growth over the long term. Step number four, speaking of long term, I mean really long term. Start early, hopefully in your teens or even in your 20s, and then invest for 20, 30, 40, or hopefully even 50 plus years. And lastly, step five, my favorite, always try and automate this process. That is 20% of your savings, after-tax money, investments, reinvesting dividends, and a set and forget attitude. Let it happen automatically in the background, perhaps set up a BPAY system for this, etc. It's possible I do it It definitely works. The main reason for automation is to ensure you don't have to actively think about it and you won't forget to do it. Your opportunity to spend the income is much less and there is more friction when it comes to spending. That is, you need to think about it, you need to disrupt the automation, you need to sell the investments and then use that money to buy things. At every step, hopefully, you'll have second thoughts and at every step, you just will say to yourself, now, I'm not doing this because it's just too complicated. That is financial friction when it comes to spending money. The more friction you experience, the less likely you will spend that money. Now, why is that really important? Well, this is why. 
Credit card companies love things like PayWave and PayPass because it's frictionless transactions. Mobile pay systems such as Apple Pay or Android Pay, it's great. Almost no friction. Everyone has smartphones and everyone can use mobile payment systems these days. And Amazon, probably one of the best user experiences it provides. And you probably, you know, you pretty much don't even need to enter your credit card details each time you purchase the products. That is ultimate frictionless. If you've ever shopped online on Amazon, you just enter your details once and it's always running in the background and you can buy, buy, buy. You don't even have to think about it. It just happens automatically. Now, that's great for such companies. That's really bad for you, the consumer, the average person trying your best to save for your retirement. Remember, why is this all very, very important? Because money, in my humble opinion, is just a tool. It doesn't make you more happier all the time. It gives you flexibility and options. That's all it does. And it provides you with an opportunity to use it to enhance your life, but more importantly, the people around you. Now, let's go to the main topic. So yeah, I bought an electric car. And if you listen to my previous episode, I boldly stated how buying an electric car could potentially make you a millionaire. Now, hopefully that got your attention. So let's go into a little bit of detail about, um, about the specifics about electric vehicles when it comes to cost savings uh, and running cost savings as well. So I bought a Model 3 Tesla Standard Range Edition with Autopilot. It actually comes with the car. What is Autopilot? Basically, it's got active cruise control and auto steer, okay? So why a Tesla? Personally, I've been following the company since its inception. I love technology, but I'm not very good at it. And I see cars as technology items in the future rather than just driving from A to B. I use my cars as much as possible. I drive about a thousand kilometers per week. I drive city driving, freeway driving, inner rural driving, single lane rural roads, and sometimes even dirt roads. I love driving and I like to use any technology the car has to the utmost. Bluetooth, active cruise control, I'm a great fan of that, lane departure warning, etc., etc. I love technology and if it's in the car, I will use it. What I don't like about car ownership is maintenance. Car maintenance is such a drag. Taking it to servicing and making appointments and leaving the car for hours at a time and then basically taking that time of your own life to try and service the car. Now, of course, the car is a very important part of my life because it enables me to get to work, which means it enables me to generate an income. But maintaining that car on a frequent basis was just a real pain. I don't like stopping for fuel. It's kind of annoying, especially if you drive as much as I do, because that is sunk time. It takes me about five minutes to fill up every single time I stop at a fuel station. I don't like the temptation of stopping for fuel and then buying things inside the fuel station that you don't need. In my case, it's coffee, too much coffee, way too much coffee. And I don't like the servicing costs, as explained before, and the time it takes to service the cars. In fact, that was my biggest drag with my previous internal combustion engine car. So in this episode, I'm going to look at the financial aspects of owning an electric car. I'm not going into the specifics of emissions and environmental impacts, etc., because that's just beyond the scope of this podcast channel. And I'm going to compare the running of an EV with the cost of owning, owning my previous ICE car. ICE in this context stands for Internal Combustion Engine Car, and EV stands for Electric Vehicle. 
So what are the things you need to think about when it comes to converting to a zero emissions vehicle? Because it's a big conversion. It's a lifestyle change, but you'll be surprised how easily you can adapt to it, particularly when you run the numbers. First of all, how far do you drive and how much you drive at a stretch? How much are you prepared to pay up front for the car? And do you really need a new car? Can your ICE car at the moment do the job for you? So are you in the market for a new car is that real question. How long do you keep your car? So three, five, six, seven, ten years. And in what sort of roads and environments do you drive? For example, city versus country versus rural versus remote versus mountainous versus dirt versus tarmac. Running costs, you need to think about fuel. Um, you need to think about servicing. You need to think about parts. AdBlue in my case because my, I, had a, I had a diesel car. I need to think about insurance um, for that car as well. And what sort of home do you live in? What's your home setup? You need to really think about, do you live in an apartment? Do you live in an independent house uh, with an independent title? Do you have units or do you have uh, a housing structure, which is a townhouse? Do you have a garage or do you have off-street parking, etc.? These are all very, very important things to consider before considering an electric vehicle. Where do you live and its public charging infrastructure? Now, one of the things that I was very, very surprised at the time of researching about converting to an electric vehicle was how many public charging stations and destination charges there are actually in Australia and on the eastern shore, especially with Melbourne and Sydney and Brisbane. Um, and if you have a look at, I mean, Tesla have something called the supercharger network, which are pretty reasonably well established today. Um, along the eastern shore, but hasn't really kicked on in South Australia, Northern Territory or WA. But over time, I suspect it will come as more and more people buy EVs, especially Teslas in those states. Um, but I was actually quite surprised. I actually downloaded a app called PlugShare. And yeah, there's actually quite a lot of destination charges for all sorts of electric vehicles available today in Melbourne. So um, that was a little bit of a shock for me, but remember, um, you can actually charge it at any plug point, really, uh, any 240 volt plug point, any standard domestic plug point, you can charge your EV, uh, albeit it's going to take a very long to reach a 100% charge, but, you know, the way I think about it um, is that there are more plug points in the world than there are fuel stations when it comes to petrol and diesel. Now, you also have to Think about the cost of insulation of electric infrastructure at home, if any. So uh, when you buy a Tesla, it comes with a wall connector and that needs to be installed. And there is a bit of a cost associated with it. And they do provide a supply of electricians um, that are qualified to install that. But in my view, the cost is actually not a great barrier. Uh, so the other thing you need to really think about, and this comes down to the financial aspects of owning an electric car, is what is your electri electricity costs? Do you have solar for example, at your home, or do you have battery backup at your home? What is your supplier cost and how much can you bargain? So Australia has a very high electricity cost compared to our UK and North American friends, but you can still get pretty good deals just by asking your provider. Uh, you'll be quite surprised. I mean, I have a general rule when it comes to utilities, and that includes telephone, internet, electricity, gas, water, etc. Water is not really that flexible. When it comes to electricity and gas, I just ring up the utility provider and say, look, 
we've been with you for the last 12 months and I want a better rate because I've been offered a better rate by another company and just be honest and try and negotiate a really good deal. And you'd be surprised how easily those companies will fold because they want your business. Now, if they say bugger off, great, just switch to the other company. Um, but it really depends on what your electricity costs are. But certainly in the UK, North America, the electricity costs are much lower. So in fact, even if the electricity costs are very high in Australia, that in itself is an incentive because your petrol costs per litre of fuel is significant. And what is your current ICE cars fuel efficiency rating and compare it to your proposed EV? Um, and what sort of technology do you need in your car and what future technology will you need in your car? Because remember, I think in the future, a car is just not going to be just a car. It's not going to be something that you use just for A to B in a traveling. It's going to be pretty much like a smartphone where we tend to use our smartphones for all sorts of different reasons. And then it just turns out they're actually phones. You can use it to call people as well. So that's just the way we look at smartphones today. And I think that's just the way we're going to be looking at cars in the future. So let's dive into each of these and compare it to my previous ICE car experience and my current EV experience, specifically talking about the Tesla Model 3 Standard Range Plus. How far do I drive daily? I drive on average about 150 to 180 kilometres per day. Now that is a lot by any standards. I'd probably be up there with the top 10% of Australian drivers in terms of distance per day, of course, excluding you know, people that drive for a living, that is taxi drivers, truck drivers, or people, um, you know, career drivers, etc. Uh, because I need to work at multiple sites, I have multiple jobs, I have multiple, uh, you know, income streams, I run a business, etc. So I need to be able to travel quickly and efficiently and reliably. Um, I need to travel with comfort due to the long hours I work, and, and I need to be rested while I'm also driving. And at a stretch, I would easily drive about 100 kilometers without stopping. So I need to have, um, you know, I need to have that flexibility in terms of um, in terms of driving long distances without stopping. Could I do this with my previous ICE car? Of course, uh, I had a very reliable previous European ICE car. Um, could I do this with my current EV? Yes, I can actually do it with my current EV. So that ticks the box. Now range. Um, so range is basically how much. Uh, range that I would get distance traveled per, I guess, tank of battery fill or per tank of fuel. With my previous ICE car, I had a 53 litre capacity. It was a European SUV, modest European SUV, nothing too spectacular. I have to say, I loved it. It was a great car, very reliable. Never had any problems during my ownership with that car and drove it like a well-oiled machine, literally. Um, now, range of my current EV, surprisingly, the Model 3, I routinely get about 300 to 350 kilometers per charge, and it depends on your driving style. Now, we're talking, I only charge it to 80%. If I charge it to 100% each time, which obviously Tesla recommend you not do because of the lithium-ion battery structure, I probably pushed out to about 380 to 400 kilometers. Now, I don't conserve... Uh, you know, battery when I drive. I have all the comforts on. I blast the stereo. I listen to music podcasts. I put the heater on. I put the cooler on. I have autopilot on. I've got active cruise control on, etc. Everything. And that was the same with my previous ICE car as well. So again, I'm not going to compromise just because I'm going to drive an EV. So yeah, does that tick the box with my current Model 3? Of course, my range is actually pretty good. It wasn't as good as my previous Asuka, which was around 800 kilometers, but um, yeah, it's, it's actually very surprisingly reliably good. Now, obviously the upfront costs, 
How much are you prepared to pay for your car? In my case, it was definitely going to be below the luxury car tax threshold. That was my sort of thing. Um, in Australia, it was about $66,331. Both my ICE car in the past and my current Tesla has come under this price. In fact, the current Tesla is actually cheaper than a Mercedes and a BMW, which is what I was actually eyeing for my next car until this car came along. Now, as I release this episode, unfortunately, the price of the Model 3 has just gone up a tidge, um, and this may affect the luxury car tax threshold, I'm not sure, but certainly when I got it, I got it for a base price of 66000 plus drive away, so it really did scrape under the luxury car tax, which was fantastic strategic pricing, I think, from Tesla. They've done a really good job in introducing a car, which they're saying for the mass market, in Australia, 66000 is quite a lot of money, but still... There's a lot of people that go and buy BMWs, Mercs and Audis and they can certainly afford to buy this car and certainly I think they'll be very, very happy. Now, personally, in terms of cars, I'm not prepared to spend hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of uh, you know, funds to just to buy a car, okay? I love cars, don't get me wrong, but it has to make financial sense. Money before emotion is the motto, as if you know me personally and you probably know me through this podcast channel, money before emotion is the motto. Now, the other thing you need to think about is, do you really need a new car? Can your ICE car do the job for you? Now, this is a bit of a loaded question because technically I didn't need a new car. My ICE car did a fantastic job of getting me from A to B in style and comfort. What I would say is, if you have the money, then this question is obsolete. If you don't have the money, then this question is relevant. And that is, do not buy any car. Do not buy an ICE car. Do not buy an EV. So, you know, if you've got the money then yeah, I think, uh, you know, this podcast episode would apply to people that are looking to buy a new car and are not sure about whether it's financially relevant and financially worthy to invest in an electric vehicle, okay? And how long do you keep your car? That's a really important question. Personally, I keep them for less than five years, uh, if that, but uh, this is entirely dependent on your financial situation and what your preferences are. My very first car I, I kept for a very, very long time uh, before it spectacularly blew up on the Western Highway. Uh, but nowadays I tend to keep a car for not longer than five years because after five years, uh, the cars, you know, technically become a liability with maintenance and reliability issues, particularly the way that I treat my cars and particularly the way that I drive and the, particularly the amount of driving that I do. Again, if you can't afford to exchange cars every five years, then it makes sense to keep them for longer. Don't go exchanging cars for five years if you can't afford it. In fact, don't buy a new car if you can't afford it. If you know me, I've always maintained that if you're going to buy a car for personal use, then never, ever have a loan for it. Always pay cash. If you're going to have a car for business use, then it makes sense to perhaps lease it or have a shadow mortgage, but you need to speak to your accountant. It may actually make sense to pay cash for your business car as well. So make sure you don't get into debt for your personal cars. So, for example, um, in terms of the length of time that you're going to keep your car, I know some people have bought the Model 3 and intend to keep it for 10 years or more. It makes complete sense to pay for upgrades, but for me, it comes with enough options that I didn't need to upgrade it. And the technology is evolving, and personally, I'm eyeing the Model Y, which should hit Australia in a few years. They're thinking about production for the left-hand drive version in 2020. By that time, I think the EV market in Australia will be mainstream. So in about 2023 is what I'm expecting Tesla Model Y to come out locally to the right-hand model, hopefully a bit sooner than that because I think their production has just scaled up and they've really done a great job in terms of you know reducing errors and trying to scale up their production for all of their Model Ys. 
But, uh, you know, by 2023, I think people will seriously have to consider EVs as an alternative to their current ICE cars. And what sort of roads do you drive it in? I didn't have any trouble with my ICE car, nor did I have any trouble with my current EV. I drive it on freeways, in a city, in a rural single lane roads. The speed limits range from 40 k's an hour to 110 kilometers on the freeway. I don't have any trouble. In fact, um, if you drive in mountainous areas and very remote and water-laden areas, then I don't think EVs are for you just yet. I'm sure there is a truck called Rivian that's um, currently hopefully being manufactured in the next sort of one or two years. That might come out. Tesla are probably thinking about releasing the trucks if you've been following them as well for those off-roaders. But um, certainly at this stage, there is no EV, I think, that would be game enough to be able to handle very mountainous and water-laden areas. So EVs are probably not for you if you do that sort of driving on a regular basis, which I would anticipate that most city dwellers in Australia don't do, even though most Australians probably have a large SUV. Um, you probably, you know, we, we, we have a seven-seater SUV, which is a nice car, and we've never taken it off-road. Um, so again, we have a big car, and I know a lot of Australians do. We love our cars. We have big cars. Uh, and I'm sure it's the same across in North America and Europe. A lot of people buy these big cars and probably never take them off-road anyway. Now, let's get cracking the running cost. This is where the finance comes in. So let's do some sums from my personal situation. You need to factor it for your situation. So let's go through my personal situation. For the 2019 financial year, I drove 67,000 kilometers. That's 5,583 kilometers per month. That is a lot of Ks by any stretch of the imagination. So it's actually more than 1,000 kilometers a week. And I think this is why it made complete sense to me to switch to an electric car. The ICE car running costs, the fuel tank had a capacity of 53 litres. Um, it had to have diesel, uh, mostly premium diesel. And the average fuel price per litre of diesel at the time of recording this episode in Australia over 12 months has been about $1.38. That is the wholesale cost. Look, I'm trying to be very, very fair to my ICE car to make sure that I'm not giving any EV cars any favours here. So let's stack the outcome against the EV and see if the EV comes out ahead. Uh, I remember mostly the price when I was filling up for those 12 months to be between $1.45 and $1.55. Um, and I think at the time of recording this episode, I think petrol prices in Australia are sky high, uh, between $1.60 and $1.80 even, which I saw today. So on average, my ICE car would be very fuel efficient. Fuel efficiency was very important to me because I didn't want to be wasting money on petrol or diesel, giving me around 800 kilometers per tank. So if I stretch it, sometimes I could get 900 kilometers per tank of fuel. And I think only once I hit the 1,000 kilometer per tank of fuel um, over that 67,000 kilometer uh, trips that I've done. So it's almost impossible to repeatedly achieve 1,000 kilometers per tank I found. So remember, at that time, I was hypermiling on that trip. So around 800 kilometers was my fuel efficiency per tank of diesel. So the cost to fill my ICE car for each fuel tank would be on average $73 based on the wholesale price of diesel. In other words, per dollar, I would get a fuel efficiency of 10 kilometers and uh, sorry, 10.95 kilometers. Now, this is pretty good, but if I got 900 kilometers routinely per tank, this efficiency would increase to 12.32 kilometers per one dollar spent on diesel. Now, that's really important. So, hang on there. That that figure is very, very important. I had to also get AdBlue for my car because of EPA regulations in Australia. It was a European car and they too have very strict emission standards. And AdBlue was every 15,000 kilometres, so approximately four times during the last year. That cost me about 40 bucks each, so add another $160 per year. 
I also had to have it serviced. So the European cars are not cheap to service, as you probably know already. And because I had a lot of kilometres driven, my servicing was around 20000 So I had to service it three times in that time. Each service cost around $600. So that's an additional $1,800 in terms of servicing costs for the financial year. This includes wheel alignment and all those mini extras they tend to charge and I always service to the dealership. So I was a bit of a sucker. And I suspect most probably most people do this for their warranty's sake because, you know, with us cars have this sort of warranty, they'll void it if you service it yourself or service it through any other dealership apart from the one that you bought it in. Uh, to be honest, legally, I think there's no leg to stand on for those companies that do it, but most people do it anyway because it's just too much of a hassle in the event the warranty gets broken. Repairs. I've never had any problems with reliability or repairs with my previous ICE car. And so far in the four weeks of driving, I haven't really had any problems with my EV, but it's a bit too early to tell. Insurance costs per year, surprisingly cheap. Only $1,100 per year for my um, for my EV. Um, I get a multi-policy discount, and I was fortunate to get a good deal. Complete comprehensive cover, of course, with one of the lowest excesses. Windshield, glass cover, everything was included. So uh, I had a pretty good deal. Um, you know, despite it being a European car, it was actually pretty good. Now, let's look at the 12-month running cost in total from our previous ICE car then. So, total fuel cost of $6,113. I had to fill it up about 83 times in the last 12 months. Um, if I got 900 kilometers per tank, I would have filled it 74 times with total fuel cost of $5,434. Uh, total servicing cost of $1,800 per year. We talked about that. Total AdValu cost of $160. Total insurance cost of $1,100 and total repairs and tyre cost of nothing. So I didn't have to change any tyres despite driving that much. So that's pretty awesome. And therefore, total yearly cost of just running my car in addition to the outlay that I did to buy the car was $9,173 per year. Now, even if I got 900 kilometres per tank, the total cost would have just reduced to $8,494.94. Uh, to make things even more stacked against my current EV, let's give it a $1,000 discount on this for those good memories for the ICE car. So let's make the total annual running cost of $7,494, even assuming for a 900km range per tank. Remember, my average tank was around 800km range, but I'm going to increase it by 100km, and I'm going to gift the, um, the ICE car another $1,000. So let's see if the EV stacks up despite all these you know, benefits and skewed towards the ICE car. Now, supposing I drove exactly the same kilometres this year, which is likely because my work commitments, my work habits and driving habits haven't changed much at all. Let's see how this would, this would compare with my current EV. My total driving is still 67,000 kilometres. My total servicing costs, Tesla have told me there is no formal servicing costs, which I still find uh, very hard to believe. In other words, there's no formal servicing program or schedule. Um, but I think they're recommended every two years. Um, we still need to change the tyres, rotate the tyres, probably do wheel alignment, windshield wiper fluid, the blades on that wipers, battery doesn't need changing regularly, of course, and has a warranty of up to 180,000 kilometres, approximately three years of my driving style. And they think this will extend to more. For example, in North America, it's been you know, rated unofficially for 500,000 miles. And in the future, they're really thinking battery technology will take it up to a million miles as battery tech improves. But that's the future, and this is now. So let's assume these servicing costs uh, are you know, zero, but I'm, I'm going to actually increase my servicing cost about 500 bucks a year. Okay, Just assume that there's going to be a 500 bucks a year servicing cost for the Tesla. 
Um, total AdBlue costs zero because I don't have to have AdBlue because I don't have any diesel. Total fuel cost is zero, but there is electricity cost, of course, for charging the EV. Now, for the purposes of this analysis, let's assume I charge at home all the time, which I don't. Uh, I use public charging stations, which is free, and I use destination chargers, which are free, and I charge at peak times, which I don't. Again, I'm trying to give my previous ICE car as much advantage as possible, um, and my energy retailer cost, assume without any discounts and always charging at peak rates, is around 33 cents per kilowatt, okay? So, so far, in one month of driving, it's actually not its actually not one month of driving because in that one month I've owned the car, I've actually been away for two weeks in terms of holidays and conferences, but in my one month of ownership of this vehicle, um, it's taken about 230 kilowatts of energy to get the car to about 1,400 kilometers. Why is this figure important? Because it translates approximately, give or take, $73 of electricity to travel around 1,400 kilometers. Now, this is critical. That means per kilowatt, I'm traveling around 6.08 kilometers with a mix of driving, rural, freeway, city, etc. Or per dollar spent on electricity, I'm now traveling 19 kilometers with that dollar compared to 10.95 kilometers per dollar spent on diesel, remember, with my previous ICE car. In other words, for the price I paid to travel 800 kilometers on average with my ICE car, or even 900 kilometers with my previous ICE car, I can now travel with the exact same cost of 1,400 kilometers. So, What's the big deal? That is a big difference. That is a difference of 500 to 600 kilometers of extra range per tank of electricity or technically battery. Remembering the following, my driving habits haven't changed. I still travel long stretches at a time. I also travel up to 180 kilometers per day. I use all the tech in the car, autopilot, heaters, coolers, seat warmers, Bluetooth, navigation, etc. I don't compromise with my EV just because it's a Tesla. I don't, you know, pat it to sleep. I shouldn't have to because I need to have a car that's reliable, that is able to perform the same as my previous ICE car or actually exceed that performance. So if I travelled 69, sorry, 67,000 kilometres this coming year and per tank I would get about 1,400 kilometres, in other words per tank of battery or per charge, I would need to fill the car only 47 times in the upcoming 12 months using 230 kilowatts each time on average. So the total kilowatt use over that period of time would be 10,810. This is if I charge at peak times. This is if I always charge at home using my own electricity, which I don't remember. So I'm, again, I'm stacking all the odds against the ASCA. So even if I charged at home at all the peak rates, which I don't, the cost for this kilowatt per year was $3,567, $3,567.30. The total insurance cost for my Tesla is actually only $1,700 uh, with unlimited car hire which I didn't have with my previous insurer for ICE. I actually changed my insurance company because the new company provides a better deal. Now, why is unlimited car hire important? That was a specific policy requirement that I had because the Model 3 has only been around for two months in Australia uh, and there are parts and repairs are costly. I need to be able to drive and work to have an income. Therefore, it made sense to have unlimited car hire in the rare event of the car just failed on me or I had an accident and it took like six months to repair the car. I have six months worth of limited car hire.
Now, repairs in the last sort of, you know, four weeks of ownership, uh, I have warranties, so I don't anticipate any repairs, and I've insurance, so let's make it zero, similar to ICE cars. So the total cost of running an EV, let's compare that to my ICE car. The total electricity cost is $3,567.30. The total insurance cost is $1,700 per year. The total servicing cost, now Tesla are saying it's up to me, but let's factor in at least $500 per year. So technically there's not much many moving parts in an EV, so less things uh, uh, have a chance to break in an EV compared to a ICE car. And if it's under, covered under warranty, then they'll fix it. Essentially, there's an electric motor and a battery, and that's pretty much it. So let's use servicing cost at about $500 per year. Uh, total AdBlue cost, zero. Total repair tire cost, I'm not sure at the moment, but um, uh, at the moment, uh, you know, the cost has been, you know, zero for tires. It's only been four weeks, but let's factor in a cost of $800 to change the tires in one year. Now, with my ice car, I didn't have to change tires. Um, so this is prospective sort of budgeting, of course. So let's budget $800 for that. So the total cost of running my Tesla Model 3 anticipated over the next 12 months is going to be $6,067.30. Remembering, even with an unfair advantage to my previous ICE car, gave a $1,000 discount, gave it a 900-kilometer range each tank, the EV still comes in cheaper by $1,476 with that discount that I've given to the ICE car. This is assuming I charge always at home at peak times, and this is assuming I don't get any discount for paying my electricity on time. Now, let's fact check this, and let's be more realistic with what actually happens with me. I charge about 50% of my time at home, and the other 50% of my time is charged at destination charges, okay, usually at zero cost. I charge between 11.30pm and 6am at home, which is my off-peak rate of $0.16 cents per kilowatt hour. I think I get a discount for paying on time, but let's just ignore this. It gets a bit complicated. So using this new statistic, which is a realistic calculation, my electricity cost then becomes only $918 per year compared to my fuel cost of $6,000 with my previous ICE car. Therefore, my total cost uh, is now only $3,918, not $6,000, which is about $3,575 cheaper than my ICE car. If the ICE car didn't get any discount and had a realistic range of 800 kilometers per fuel tank, then the saving now increases to $5,255 per year. Okay, now why is that relevant? And why did I say that potentially this is going to get me closer to that millionaire status just by owning an electric vehicle? So I plugged in some numbers. Remember, the motto of this channel is about personal finances. I don't care if my Tesla Model 3 is awesome or not or whatever. I want to see how much money that I can save. And with that saved money, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to put it into investments. So if I did that and I extrapolated the data, um, I'm going to get anywhere between $680,000 to $900,000 in return on investment over 30 years if I just got 8 to 9% per year, which is what I've been averaging over the last 10 years. So using these savings just by converting to an electric vehicle, which cost exactly the same up front as it did for my previous ICE car, I'm going to be $680,000 to $900,000 richer over the next 30 years just by doing this. And that is why I converted to an electric vehicle. Of course, the Model 3 is a fantastic car, but the primary reason is, you know, I did the calculations 
the best scenario case, the worst scenario case. I did it again and again and again. It was pretty obvious. The result was exactly the same. I have been silly driving an ice car all these years, but it made sense because nothing was available in the market up until, you know, two months ago for an EV which could accommodate my daily needs. And along came the Tesla Model 3, and I've been eyeing this car for a long time, and here it is, and it has completely blown the competition away. So, just by changing to an electric vehicle, I'm going to save, at a minimum, $5,500 approximately um, and uh, per year, just by doing that. Now, that's, you know, that's a lot of money, you know. Um, you know, that's over $400 uh per year, uh, sorry, per month, $400 in savings. Now, if you're thinking about it, this is the way that I look at it. Am I going to be putting $400 in the bin every single month? Now, no one in their right mind will be doing that. That's what I was doing all these years because I didn't have a viable EV option. Now, I'm not going to be doing that. I'm going to be putting it into my investment portfolio and I'm going to be repeating it and investing the dividends that come off it and keep doing it for the rest of my life. So, you know, I was actually thinking about other cars, Mercedes C-Class, um, BMW 3 Series. Um, but, you know, on average, uh, this Model 3 has way more tech than the average ICE car. Uh, so it just didn't make sense anymore to drive an ICE car for me. And I don't think I'll ever go back, uh, purely because it's just a cost-saving measure for me, but also the technology and the quality, um, yeah, there's been some quality issues in the US, but uh, I'm very, very happy with the car. Now, there is one other additional cost which I did not mention, and I didn't do it purposely because not everyone will need a home wall connector, but that comes with the car. It's free in Australia. A wall connector basically charges your car at a faster rate. I think our North American friends um, have to pay for their wall connector, which seems a bit crazy because they only have a 110-volt power outlet for the domestic use. But to install the wall connector, you need a Tesla authorized electrician. Again, you don't need to do this, but it comes with the car, so I did it. And for me, it cost about $1,000, including GST. So it took half a day, and the car didn't even need to be there, to be honest. And this is a once-off, but I don't need to do it um, because I could plug it into any wall socket. But I did it anyway because it's quicker, it's more efficient at home, and most destination chargers are three-phase anyway. So it doesn't matter. You're going to get a high range per hour of charging. So the way I look at EVs is this. There are more power points in the world than petrol stations. There are power outages are quite rare in Australia, uh, but summer will be quite interesting when it gets to 40 degrees, uh, particularly in the eastern seaboard and Perth, etc. So it'll be interesting to hear your feedback. If you're a Model 3 owner listening to this podcast, let's go through the first summer of Australia and see how we go. Uh, I have another family car at the moment, which is an SUV, which is an ICE car because we need a seven-seater, but I think Mercedes are releasing an EQC, which I think is a seven-seater. So over time, the SUVs will be electric in the future as well. So there'll be a day in Australia when EVs will be more mainstream uh, than compared to ICE cars. Now, as it stands in Norway, there I think the EVs are pretty much being outsold uh, compared to the ICE cars. And because they have very, very generous tax incentives and subsidies for buying EVs, we have nothing in Australia. And despite all that, my EV comes out on top. So, ignoring the finances, how has it been in the last one month driving an EV? Now, over the last sort of four weeks, the people that know me, that know that I've bought a Model 3 Standard Range Plus, have texted me, have Facebooked me, have emailed me. How is the car? How does it stack up with my driving? 
okay? So I think about all the petrol stations that I've stopped at in the past. I don't do that anymore. I come home, I connect it to my wall connector. It automatically knows that I'm at home and it automatically schedules uh, a charge at 11.30 p.m. onwards because that's when my off-peak rates happens. It just happens automatically. I don't have a key. My phone becomes the key. I can do some functions of the car from the phone. I can preheat, I can pre-cool, I can lock, I can unlock, I can open the frunk or the trunk. I can monitor the charge from my smartphone. The Tesla app is free. It comes with the car and they'll set it up for you when you take delivery. I also have a uh, uh, another app called Teslab, which provides great analytics about my driving efficiency. But that's just sort of geeky sort of stuff if you are sort of interested in that sort of stuff. I use Autopilot, and this is probably another big reason. I use Autopilot, which is Auto Steer and Active Cruise Control, 70 to 80% of my daily drive. Because I do a lot of free ride driving, it has absolutely changed my driving style. It has changed my fatigue levels. It's efficient. It's relatively flawless at this stage. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but Tesla are always improving it. And here's another advantage. One week after I got my car, Tesla released a software update called version 10. My car was connected to my home Wi-Fi and just updated the car automatically. And the next morning, I got a message when I got into the car. Hey, you have all these new features, Tesla games, arcade, karaoke, Netflix, YouTube, Spotify, and more. You know, the car is constantly improving. And at the time of recording this, um, Elon Musk has just tweeted that just by software updates, He's going to try and get another 5% efficiency in terms of range and performance for the Model 3. Now, this is a car that I've already bought. I've never experienced this in my life. Basically, the car improves over time for free. Now, that alone is something spectacular. But uh, again, that's not the main reason why I bought the car. This is all just added perks. I bought the car because it's going to make me money. It's going to save me money. It's going to help me invest and reinvest dividends. And that's what this podcast episode is all about. So is this going to be the future? I think so. I think in the future, cars will be like smartphones. People don't primarily use their smartphones to make phone calls these days. They use it for all sorts of other reasons. A car is going to be like this. It's going to be autopiloted. It's going to be autonomous. It's going to be self-driving. It's going to have artificial intelligence built in. It wouldn't make sense to perhaps even own multiple cars anymore in the future. I see in the future where my car will meet me outside the garage in the morning, drop me off at work, then go and pick up the shopping, which is shopped online, then go and pick up the kids from school and then come back to my workplace and pick me up. All the one car can do that. So that I think is going to be the future of cars and vehicles And hands down, converting to an electric vehicle, irrespective of the Model 3, etc. I just found the Model 3 to be cheap, efficient, and uh, uh, technology-wise, I liked it. But there's Hyundai Kona, there's um, uh, uh, Kia e-Niro, there's an Ioniq, there's a BMW i3. You know, it depends what floats your boat, depends on how much you drive and all those other factors that I talked about. Uh, I'm definitely... You know, I guess you can call me a little bit of a Tesla fanboy now, but I wasn't always a Tesla fanboy. I was a bit nervous. I was a bit skeptical. I did my sums. I did my research, but the finances just didn't add up for me to keep driving an ice car. And I hope you take this episode on. Do your own sums. I'm not suggesting you go out and buy a new car if you can't afford it, but certainly if you're in the market for a new car, please give electric vehicles a chance. Don't write them off. I'm actually very, very happy. I'm very pleasantly surprised. And logically, financially, and in terms of comfort, this car has come out um, shining on the other end. I I just, um, I'm actually very, very humbled by the performance of this car. 
So that's about it for this episode. Thanks for listening and supporting this channel. I love the feedback and I love the questions. Keep them coming. As always, pay yourself first. Invest, reinvest the dividends and keep doing it in the long term. And always try and automate it. Next time you're in the market for a car, do the sums and see if an electronic, electronic, electric vehicle, beg your pardon, makes sense. You may be surprised. Thanks for listening. This is Dev Raga, Personal Finance, Episode 58. And always stay safe. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 